CBS's Cammie McCormick. The fashion world mourning one of its icons. Pierre Cardin's clothes defined the 1960s. His love of geometric patterns, circles, that sort of space-age avant-garde. Which he combined, says fashion editor Avril Graham, with non-traditional materials. But the man who changed fashion also revolutionized the business of fashion. At a time when haute couture was handmade and only for the super-rich, Cardin risked his career by selling ready-to-wear collections in a department store. Other designers followed suit, then followed again as Cardin licensed his name to hundreds of products. Steve Kaith and CBS News. Just ahead of the opening bell, Dow Futures are up 129, S&P up 14. This is CBS News. CBS News Radio is your home for breaking news. With our team of reporters around the country and the world, we give you the coverage you can trust. Liberty. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company customizes your car insurance with Right Track, which rewards you for safe driving. As the world's most careful driver, that's perfect. Now apply two pounds of force for acceleration. You really put up up 2.3 miles and begin a deceleration. With Liberty Mutual's Right Track, you could earn up to 30% savings based on how you drive. Sign up at libertymutual.com slash right track. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Discount on participating vehicles based coverages only. Availability varies. Mary's Bistro delivery business is bustling and ready to burst. Orders 34, 35, and 36 are up. Who's handling these? Hello, Mary's Bistro, now delivering. It's time to hire. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. The moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Indeed delivers two and a half times more hires than the other branded job sites combined, according to Breezy HR 2019. Visit Indeed.com credit and get a $75 credit for your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Fashion designer Pierre Cardin's only been dead a few hours, but I'll bet he's spinning in his grave over this fashion trend. Indoor dining out, snowsuits are in this COVID winter. One of the largest online vintage sellers reports sales are up 78% over last year. Suits on widespread threads sell for hundreds of dollars, the fastest to go bright neon colors. The owner tells the Wall Street Journal people want to be noticed. A Toronto-based designer says the jumpsuits are perfect for walking dogs, running errands, and al fresco dining with friends. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. And then finally, a full-size disco ball, a plastic Christmas tree, and a double mattress were among the more unusual objects found by volunteers cleaning up Britain's beaches this fall. Also, a fridge door, a wig, a single wedding shoe, and a complete set of pink underwear, but by far the most common items, potato chip wrappers, which can take decades to break down. I'm Vicki Barker, CBS News. Balance of nature is fruits and vegetables in a capsule. Changing the world one life at a time. I think this stuff works. I don't seem to have the highs and the lows. You know how sometimes you get real slow and low during the day? And I'm a type A guy, so I go a lot. And I'm more alert, and it seems like I don't seem to feel famished. And it's not very expensive. And the idea of having that freeze-dried or that nutrient in that capsule, and who's going to eat all those vegetables? You know, most of us don't eat right anyway, so... Whatever the science behind this, I think down of the nature is a great idea. And I, I'm going to probably stay with it until I drop. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code FRUITS.
Rutland Bottle Gas here. If it's propane, we do it. Residential service, commercial cylinder exchange, residential 100-pound cylinder exchange, auto gas, commercial bulk service, agriculture applications, and many more propane-related services that are too many to mention. We service northern West Virginia and many counties in central and southern Ohio. Give us a call at our Rutland location at 740-742-2511 or our Plains location at 740-797-4675 or you can visit us at rutlandbottlegas.com. Fire threatens everything in its path. When it threatens our nation and our communities, we respond. We bring the fight to the front line. The Army National Guard stands ready to face the dangers of Mother Nature and protect our homes and our neighbors. We will always be there when your community needs us the most. Discover more about all the ways you can serve part-time in your community by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. The Athens Messenger provides interesting local news, keeps you entertained and informed, but what else? It empowers you by providing information to make the best possible decisions about life, community, and government issues. It supports democracy by providing facts to make informed decisions and keeps transparency in our community. It keeps the First Amendment alive. The Athens Messenger, your local trusted news source. Not a subscriber? Visit our website at AthensMessenger.com or call 740-592-6612, extension 1, to subscribe. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you think you'd like to win, but you can't, it's almost a cinch you won't. Life's battle doesn't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the person who wins is the one who thinks he can. Single game tickets on sale now at Bengals.com. In our 71st year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM six inches of snow can disappear in 48 hours or so. Remarkable. Hey, we got We're going to learn all about Duck Creek Winery. What's that road? 690? Yeah, 690. Takes off there in Canaanville and heads on over to Amesville. And joining us live this morning, its owner, or one of its uh, co-owners, I might add, Paul Friedman. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Dave. There you go. There you go. I thought you were there. Um, Yeah, well... We, I, I just, I've jotted down a bunch of questions, and I'm sure others will occur to me as we go by. But, uh, Paul, let me. Um, we, we often talk about people's lifetime backgrounds and so on. So, tell me a little bit about where were you raised? I actually grew up in New Jersey, um, very urban, um, back in the uh, '70s. Um, Jersey City and New York City um, were not the place to be, and very young and decided I wanted to, um, as soon as opportunity afforded it, to um, get to a more rural, more sustainable lifestyle. So despite growing up in New Jersey, I very quickly um, 
left the, the state and then studied environmental science. Now, Originally, my goal was to be a park ranger. The, um, your parents, um, what were their backgrounds? Uh, my dad's a history teacher. Um, spent like, 32 years teaching. Like at New Jersey, public my mom schools? was a medical secretary. A public school type teacher? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was committed to public schools. That was his, his, his strong suit. And you, I interrupted you while you were saying what your mom's background was. Uh, mom was a medical secretary, also working for the public hospital. You know, those medical then. secretaries, they're amazing. How do they possibly know how to spell everything correctly with all the different terms and, you know what I mean? It's just amazing. And the shorthand, they yeah. used to take shorthand. Uh, right. And if you think court, court, cursive writing is a lost art, I'm looking through her notes, which are in shorthand. That was that's just cryptic to me. And then, and then a lot of doctors, we always tease them about their writing skills, you know. And um, <laughs> so, how do you pick it up? Anyway, I'm I'm that's pretty amazing. So, um, siblings, do you have any brothers or sisters? I have a younger brother. He's still in New Jersey. He mm -hmm. is took over the family business. He himself became a history teacher. Okay. Uh, in high school, public school. Well, somewhere along the way, as you said, you you, th you thought it'd be fun to, or, or you, you thought a career in, like, forestry and stuff would be interesting. So where'd you select to go to school? I went to a small school in southern New Jersey, um, Stockton College. I've heard of that. Now refer to Stockton University. Yes. And, and with all of that background, um, I mean, did you change along the way, or did you keep that same focus? Um, kind of a, a tangent. I went from the uh, seasonal work in the park service to become a city planner. Um, took a couple of planning classes in undergrad as part of the environmental science, and that led me to a graduate degree in city planning. So I did shift a little from being yeah. a park ranger seasonally to um, full-time as a city planner. Well, we're, we're going to get to that here pretty soon, but uh, along the way, of course, you met Cynthia, right? And, uh, that is correct. And uh, what was what were her interests at the time? Um, her background is, is is more artistic. She is a graphic artist, commercial production graphic artist, mm -hmm. and she specializes in, in little foreshadowing, labeling. Well, She's you know what? Friend. It occurs to me with uh, wine bottles, there's labeling, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> it's a match made. Match me just for this in many different levels. Yes. Uh, and many with different levels, indeed. So um, let's let's uh, keep moving here. Now, do you have any kids? I know we don't. The farm is our, our child, okay. if you will. Now, um, so as you said, uh, while you started in college, sort of with the idea of forestry and that sort of thing, it evolved into more of a planning issue and uh, planning responsibility. And so I know you're with the city of Columbus. You are one of the planners, and you have a particular area that you focus on. But have you been with other cities as well? No, nope, I spent my entire career with the city of Columbus, but with various positions in the city. So I um, had, had a lot of different opportunities, fortunately, within that organization, from computer mapping to computer um, maintenance and server management, back into planning and eventually and currently writing, building housing and zoning code for the zoning section. 
Now, um, let's let's have you sort of make a short list of the different planning areas within a major metropolitan area such as Columbus. So <clears throat> you've got the residential, right? That's correct. You have residential, um, both single-family and your multifamily. So you've got your apartment residential. And then list a few other of those types of areas of responsibility. Well, the actual zoning, you get into commercial zoning and the various levels and intensity for commercial zoning. And that leads over in the city of Columbus to manufacturing. Uh, we have three different levels of manufacturing, mm-hmm. zoning, and eventually some specialized districts, institutional and um, uh, customized districts, CPD and PADs, plan unit developments. CPD is a what? The CPD is a commercial plan development. It is a customized district. Uh, this is the... Um, you, if you, as a developer, want to build it, you kind of commit to uh, a site plan, and the city passes a site plan, and built into that are the variances needed to build as you would. So, so might that be like a, flexibility. a commercial mall space or something like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, most of the malls, many of the gas stations, uh, because it was the, the awnings and canopies, yeah. anything that's unique would go into a CPD. I see. So um, that's why you don't see uh, certain things in certain areas. You want to keep certain areas pristine and, and unique to that particular manner or style. And then another area, you just, ba- uh, go ahead. There's a balancing point. Uh, you, you definitely want to keep separate um, land uses that are incompatible, but you still want to allow for a vibrant mix. So it's always trying to find that, that, that balance Point between separating the incompatible and getting the vibrancy that allows a community to be a community. Well, here you are, New Jersey, metro raised and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, I like many parts of New Jersey, but there's some that I've been in that I didn't. <laughs> so uh, here you found Columbus, Ohio. Now, um, and, and then you, you kind of started focusing on a different part of Ohio, didn't you? I uh, fell in love with Southeast Ohio. Um, nothing wrong with Columbus. I, I, it's a great career, and I supported me, supported my family, allowed me to indulge in the, the farm down here that eventually led to the winery. But the rolling hills, the topography, the sense of community, Southeast Ohio and the Athens area especially has everything I've been looking for and searching since those early days and the desire to get out of a very urban setting. You know, um, I got past, um, I just had a thought as we were going along. Um, So you know Columbus well. Um, I was raised in Worthington and um, graduated in Worthington in 67. Um, and then went on to Wyoming and other places. Now, my home was at 6800 North High Street, which uh, later became a bank after my parents gave up the house. The house was moved 
way across town to Pataskala. They had to raise foam wires and electric wires to move the darn thing. It was a huge home. The dispatch did a feature on it, uh, the moving of this house. Uh, there's laws that says you can't move it more than so many miles on a federal highway and uh, stuff like that. It was really quite an amazing feat. Then the bank built, and, and today it's AFSCME's headquarters, um, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Um, you know, Worthington was a wonderful place to grow up, and I love it still. Um, but the, the sheer planning of, here was a home, but as the city grew up and around it, when I was growing up, it was a bit in the country. Uh, now it's pretty much solid metro all the way up to Delaware. Um, times change, and, and so um, areas change, and planning for those areas must change, right? It certainly does. Um, the zoning changes. The character of the environment changes. When I came to Columbus, um, everything north of 270 was cornfields. Yeah. Uh, today, you had the Polaris Mall and that related development. Right. We saw the zoning from that go from rural residential to commercial and, in some cases, manufacturing. The downtown. When I yeah. came to Columbus, the Census Bureau didn't believe our numbers uh, 40 years ago that there were a very you know, a handful of residents in the downtown. A rezoning for the downtown, coupled with other incentives, led to a revival of the downtown of Columbus. Um, so it certainly does change. Um, the goal is always change for the better. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, but we all are always trying to think of new ways to uh, find that balancing point I mentioned earlier. Well, I tell you what, I'm very proud of Columbus. I still am. I always have been. Um, and I continue to find new places that are of interest, and I continue to enjoy old places that I've attended for years. I just love it. Let's keep moving. So, bees. Uh, okay, so, no, 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 I, that's too quick. Southeast Ohio, you found that coming down here was enjoyable. And the two of you, Cynthia and yourself, decided to purchase a farm, right? We wanted a rural retreat. Uh, farming well, it was secondary to it, but we wanted a um, slightly slower lifestyle. Um, some people call it a writer's retreat. So we found originally started off at 35 acres off of Dutch Creek Road, mm -hmm. off of State Route 690, mm -hmm. and we loved it because you could be rural and in a matter of 8 miles, 12 minutes, be in town. Uh, 15 uh, minutes, you could be seeing yeah. a show sure. at OU. So it gave both the the urban uh, requisite that we needed, shopping, medical care, um, theater, uh, excellent dining, everything you would attribute to a very cosmopolitan area, and yet in 12 minutes, you can be out and under the stars. And yeah. very few areas allow that. Now... Um, so how long ago did you first make this uh, decision and, and actual um, opportunity? 
We started uh, the farm in 2007. Seven. Cindy and I were just starting the date, and I took the plunge to say, let's go look for land, and we started searching. And they say you know it when you know it, and when I put my eyes on this first parcel, it actually, you, you could feel it. It spoke to me. So I knew that that location um, is on this entire area, that, that, that 35 acres in the history it has, and it's got quite a bit of history, mm-hmm. was, was meant for me um, as a caretaker for this period of time. Was there a structure already, or was this the, your intent to build one there? There was nothing. This was no bridge, no structure, just just raw land. It was a the southern part of a larger farm that um, dates back to over 200 years. And we got the southern portion of that farm. Did the um, so there, there's a lot of work that uh, some people buying a piece of property wouldn't have had to do, but uh, you chose to pick a place that you were going to take from scratch and make it your home in your your place of pride and fortunately my background helped um being the planner and knowing what to look for um just visually knowing uh, what the creek would do where you might be able to get a septic field Mm. knowing where you could bring power in all that uh, was something that fortunately my background kind of all the years from the park service to the city planner kind of gave me a idea of what to look for. I was very fortunate to have that. So when I saw the, the, the valley off the side valley, I knew that it was protected from the wind. You still had enough for septic, nice house build site, um, not without its pitfalls, but for me, it just spoke to me. Now, somewhere along the way, and perhaps it goes back to your days of interest in forestry and so so on. Um, bees um, became of interest. Did, did was it a all of a sudden wake up thing, or was it something you had admired for years, or what? Somewhere in the middle. Always wanted to keep bees. It wasn't the first thought we had, though. We wanted to start off with goats. Um, goats. Still having our full-time jobs. Yep, goats. Uh, raising fiber. Um, we wanted to start off with goats, but still having a full-time job and and taking care of um, a animal that needed that level of, of, of care mm-hmm. was a little too much. So we decided to start off a little slower. Bees, for the most part, while you do have to visit them once a week or twice a week, and there is some husbandry involved in taking care of the bees, for the most part, they protect themselves. They're on their own. Arguably, they're only non-domesticated animal that humans keep. So it was perfect for that point of time, and it grew on us. We, we, we definitely still to this day keep bees now in the winery. Um, you know, I'm one who likes to have my yard as nice as possible try as I might I can't keep it perfect but one of the things that bugs me is uh, clover right now bees love clover it doesn't bug me I love clover yeah so you you as well as the bees now um, what are some of the things that bees are drawn to that I might not know about 
down in southeast Ohio, the season starts off with the trees. The trees, you throw the leaf out, there is pollen, there's nectar flowing from all the trees, especially the buckeyes, and the bees love them. As you transition into a little bit later, the trees leaf out and you get into some of the spring wildflowers. And things that a lot of the gardeners consider nuisances and weeds that a lot of the hay producers don't like, the bees love. Um, clover of all flavors, especially yellow clover, the bees will just um, go to it and, and harvest all the pollen and nectar they can. Mm-hmm. And as you progress into the summer, uh, Joe Pie and Japanese knotweed, so generally, if it has the word weed in it, humans don't like it, and bees do. <laughs> Eventually, the goldenrod in the fall. So, um, how many, um, um, let's see here. I'm sure, I, I assume you started off with a couple of hives. Um, so, those are two colonies, yep, two colonies. Okay, a colony is one hive? One hive, yep. Okay. I don't I don't know the, these terms all that well. So a hive is, or a colony that's the same thing. Now, that's correct. Um, when I picture a hive, it's maybe four feet tall, maybe uh, two feet by two feet uh, dimensionally, and um, is that correct? Yep, that's pretty close. Okay. Now, um, how do they get in it? Generally, what you do is you have to buy a package of bees. Uh, you, um, you buy the equipment and the woodenware and the, the comb, uh, or the, the base of the comb, if you will, uh, from a supplier, and then you get it from another supplier, usually a package of bees, one queen and two or three pounds of bees. And as they transit to your location, the queen and the bees get to know each other, shall we say, the queen's in the little cage inside the bigger cage, so everyone... Um, Though the queen never met these bees before this trip, if everything goes well, the queen and the pheromones, the bees become her, she becomes their queen, they accept her. So when you put the package into your hive box, they accept her and they go to work. They start drawing the comb and she starts laying eggs for to keep the colony going. Bees at the peak of season will only live 21 days, so she's got to start laying eggs pretty quick. Okay, now now there there's something I didn't know. The lifetime of a bee, twenty one days. Is that what you said? In at peak, yep, yeah, at peak in summer they can live about twenty one days. Generally, in winter they'll go a little bit longer, six weeks. They're not out foraging, they're not um, burning the calories that they would. But it's a relatively short lifespan for the worker bees. Uh, the queen and the drone live a little bit longer, but most of the bees, it's not a very long lifespan. Does a queen bee look different than a regular bee? Yep, she's a little bit longer, a little bit larger. Uh, and it takes quite a, a tuned eye to, to pick her out when you have thousands of bees and go, there's the queen. Uh-huh. I'm still not the best at that. There are others that are better. But, yes, yeah, she's a little bit longer, a little bit wider. Now, what if um, they don't like her? That can be a problem. Um, hopefully they do. If they don't, they actually could kill her. And what you're hoping is before they actually um, take her out of the hive and uh, kill her, they actually produce another queen, and they supersede or weak queen their own hive. 
So even with the queens, they will sometimes on their own volition uh, create a new queen, and the queens will fight it out. And the strongest yeah. survive, and the other queen leaves or succumbs. Could any bee of a, I, I take it there's male and female bees, right? There are, yes, there are. Mostly it's female. There's a handful of drones in any hive. The males are called drones, and their only purpose is to reproduce. Okay. It's a tough life they have. Yeah. And they, um, <laughs> any bee, when it's in infancy, when it's in the larval stage, if they feed it royal jelly, can become a queen. So they only make sure they feed the right ones that they want in the queen cell, the royal jelly. But in theory, they can have an emergency queen produced by feeding a, um, at the right stage royal jelly to an infant bee in a larval stage. Okay, so, boy, it sounds very complicated. It also sounds very, um, how do I want to put it, like uh, well, it would be an interesting human society, too, you know? Um, okay, so with all this said, um, uh, this, this four-foot-tall, two-by-two column that I call a beehive that I've described sort of, uh, how many, how, one of those, um, I'm guessing they, it's better if you have multiple ones. They, they just get along better and everything. But um, one of those can produce what? And I guess I'm talking about honey. Honey is a primary product. And obviously, you can get beeswax and propolis and other products. Um, in addition to the honey, but generally in, in southeast Ohio, you're looking at honey. A little tough down here. The bees need forage. They need nectar. And for the most part, in the summer and fall, most of our trees are in full leaf. and There's not much wildflowers, so it can be tough. So down in southeast Ohio, we're looking at a colony. They measure in pounds. One gallon is 12 pounds. So a good colony down here in a good year give you about 60 pounds of honey, a five-gallon bucket, if you will. Other areas, you can get double or triple that, where there's a lot of farm crops, a lot more wildflower, and you know, in areas that grow alfalfa, hay, or other um, similar crops, you can get a lot more honey. But down here, you get more variety of flavors because it's wildflower as opposed to one crop or two crops of a, a grown product. But you're only probably looking about three to five gallons. Okay. Now, <clears throat> so five gallons a year per hive, roughly. Um, now, this does honey go bad? Honey is one of the few food products that never spoils. It could crystallize, and you can decrystallize it, but it will never spoil. They've had they found honey in the tombs of the Egyptian pharaohs that was still edible and still good. Okay, and then, much to my, um, I didn't know this, folks, but there are many different honey flavors. And it's dependent, I guess, I guess as you've told us, on what it is they're feeding on at a given time, what kind of plant, what kind of whatever. So, I have no knowledge of this stuff. One of these days, I'm going to come down, and you're going to say, taste this. Now, what, what do you taste? 
and then I'm going to say, honey. <laughs> and then you're going to say, no, 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 get more into it. What, what, you know what I mean? And uh, you, eventually you're going to tell me it's made up of simply clover. And then you're going to do something else, and it's made out of some flour. And I, then I might be able to have a, an appreciation for all these different um, unique flavors. You know what I mean? That's what's, what's the great part about it is that while we turn our honey into mead, the flavors of the mead and the flavors of the honey just depend on what the bees are foraging and what mix of honey you use. We usually start off people, when they're learning about beekeeping, by having a honey tasting demonstration. Um, often, sometimes not local honey, but you get different ideas. We bring up orange blossom honey from Florida, and you actually get a faint taste of the orange in the honey. Um, there are local autumn olives produces a very light champagne-colored honey that is very floral. So despite autumn olive's reputation of being invasive, and it certainly is, it produces a very fine white honey. You get into the goldenrod. Oh, a lot of beekeepers let the bees keep the goldenrod over winter because it would be very strong and pungent honey. You can get into buckwheat honey. Places that produce buckwheat is a very, very dark and rich honey. So there are certainly different flavors depending on what the bees forage for. And depending on the mixing and the flavors kind of depends on the flavor that comes out in your product, mm -hmm. whether it's a baked good, ice cream, or in our case, or wine. Well, I just know I love sweet things. <laughs> and honey often leads to that. Now, that said, okay, somewhere along the way, you folks developed the idea of wouldn't it be neat to open a winery? And folks... Um, uh, honey that, I'm sorry, wines that are made from honey, I'm sure you know, are called mead, M-E-A-D, right? Yep. It's where the primary fermentable sugar is from honey, and not, and it's not a still product. So while beer, the primary fermentable sugar is from grain, wine is where the primary fermentable sugar is from a product other than grain, and if that product is honey, you get a mead. Now, and yet, not all meads are as sweet as honey. Um, in fact, very few are. Maybe none, actually, now that I think about it, is because honey, what's sweeter than honey? Nothing. Um, Now, I like sweet wines. I have a lot of my friends who, who make fun of me because I like sweet wines. But um, uh, you have some very fine wines that my friends enjoy, and they prefer drier wines. Now, how does that all happen with honey? It gets into how much honey you put in, whether you put honey additional honey after the fermentation is done. That's a way to back-sweeten or make a drier wine sweet. The other thing that gets into it is how much acid. If you're making a mead that has um, blueberry juice in with it or blackberry juice, blackberries have a lot of natural acid with them. So if you're making a mix of honey, yeast, water, and blackberry juice, 
you're going to come up with a blackberry mead that may have a little bit more of a tart sensation. And that tart sensation tends to cover up some of the sweetness. So the dryness can be a product of the alcohol fermentation, using up all the sugar, converting it over to alcohol. Or it could be a product of what else is in the wine, especially acids. Uh, natural acids, tartaric and phosphoric, definitely give wine its zing. So by playing with those flavors, by mixing those flavors around, you can get a whole spectrum of, of different flavors for all different people who like all different, all different fancies of wine. I was adopted. Um, my parents were in their 50s when they adopted me. I was a baby. Um, it was not uncommon at my home to drink Mogan David wine at a Sunday dinner. Uh, even as a child, uh, I, I certainly didn't have very much of it. And my, the glasses were small, but my parents enjoyed it. A taste of Mogan David wine, right? Which was sweet. Now, um, so to this day, I like sweet wines. Does, are there meads that are sweet? There certainly are. And a lot of meads, traditionally, it's a very sweet wine. Um, that's in part where the word honeymoon comes from, the mead that they would give the bride and groom prior for um, after the wedding. Mm -hmm. um, traditionally, it's a very sweet wine. So if you go over to England and Ireland and Europe, it's going to be dessert wine sweet or even ice wine equivalent sweetness. And we wanted to do something different here. We wanted something that was a little drier. I'm actually partial to big, bold reds out of California. And while I wish I could grow those quality grapes here, I decided to do something a little different than everyone else and start off with wines, honey wines, but see if we can make them on a drier end. We do have some sweet selections, and we do have some medium-bodied wines. But what I really like for me is the drier wines, and that's where my focus as a winemaker is. Now, I didn't know this until actually visiting your facility, the Dutch Creek Winery. But um, evidently, wineries about the state, and for that matter, really in many places around the nation that have popped up over the last uh, 15 or 20 years, um, are offering a thing called a slushy. And I've become a real fan of slushies at the Dutch Creek Winery. Now, there are different flavors of slushy, but it's basically um, a slushy drink, folks, where you have, you know, molten ice, or molten ice? What would it be? Anyway, very, um, it's a slushy, for crying out loud. And... Um, and so you saw so many other wineries doing it that you brought one into your facility, and it's really neat, isn't it, and popular? It, it's, a, it's a great way to relax on a summer evening. We do it seasonally. You have spice mold for winter, but in the season, in the summer season especially, uh, when someone you know says, hey, let's go out for a cold one, mm -hmm. we have a cold one. We have the slushies. It's an ice-based drink. What we do a little different than most is we add a, our simple syrup or the base syrup we make in-house is made with honey and water. So that's where the sweetness of our slushies come from, is that honey-water solution. 
Well, and that allows you to have a sweet drink that still has ice in it, that still has a slushy consistency. I know, Paul, that you love your job in Columbus. And, you know, being part of the city planning um, um, leadership there, um, you have an important duty. But uh, this dream of yours, this Southeast Ohio property that you own, you've added to it several times, and you have a really beautiful area down there. And now the the winery part of it, um, you know, you're, you're fulfilling a, a dream, aren't you? It is definitely the retirement dream. Um, I need, knew we needed a second act. I'm getting closer to um, being able to retire from my full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I knew me, I couldn't sit still. And I needed something that would allow me to produced, allow me to have my creative outlet, but also it would allow me to be close to the land. And this winery allowed me to combine all, all my aspects, combine all of Cindy's aspects, all her, her what she brought into the partnership. Um, not only does she do, do, does the labeling, she also knows when to keep me in line. <laughs> so it works both ways. Yeah, yeah. So, um, folks, uh, if, if you're familiar with Dutch Creek Winery at all, um, you take 690 there, you turn there in Canaanville, I think it is, and start off toward um, what would be 550 or the, the intersection of 550 and 690 just before Amesville. But before you get to that end, um, you come across this... Uh, beautiful stretched out area where this beautiful barn is and the barn is their main facility or it's it it looks like a barn let's put it that way except a modern day beautiful barn um you have an ideal situation there where and i'm guessing that you have future plans like maybe to build another facility there that would host events such as Oh, wedding receptions or things like that. Um, the the grassland down at the bottom, you could very easily turn into a, um, a very intimate concert area uh, with a small stage and so on. And um, actually, you got a guy working for you that has done some of this sort of thing in the past, right? Yep, our, our manager, Brandon, has run facilities in the past specialized in events locally and this, uh, hopefully we can get past the pandemic mm-hmm. where we've been very fortunate and um, once again I want to tell everyone to you know think local when it comes to shopping support the local businesses and help them through the pandemic but as soon as the pandemic hopefully eases and we're optimistic that we see the light in the tunnel that we have um, plans to open up eventually a second building for events in the meantime we can host small events and small weddings and well Cindy and I are ordained just to be able to officiate weddings here to make it easier on the bride and groom and and, then having a a one-stop shop you know actually getting the food you know um well this Scott this story is probably 15 years ago maybe longer someone said well anybody can be ordained and I said what do you mean so I sure enough 
I filed something with some organization nationally, and I'm ordained too. Ordained for what? I, I could officiate or, a wedding. Oh, to officiate a wedding. Yes. Yeah, you can, you can download that. But um, it's not quite the same as no. what Paul's talking about. Right. But um, I, I have a certificate framed on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to keep that in mind in case you yeah. need a backup. Okay, well, <laughs> it would be my first and only. Um, so all of this, um, you, you know, in, in I think your most recent uh, effort. Okay, let's back up a notch. Uh, folks, uh, during my time uh, involved with Dutch Creek Winery, they have been open two days a week. And we're talking about Fridays and Saturdays. And it's sort of a, a late afternoon to early evening timetable. Um, so I'm going to say 4 to 9, something like that. Um, and even during when this weather hit uh, this year, um, they put up some... Um, some wind barriers and some outdoor heat and so on, which is in a now a a, um, a protected area, so the heat's maintained inside, and they have social distancing being performed. Like uh, the tables, the the picnic tables are easily six or seven or eight feet apart. Um, so you know, you folks have been doing your part. Uh, where last year you had, during the winter, more people seated inside. This year um, it's been hard to do. So you've accommodated outside the areas and made them comfortable. But your long-term goal, um, one of the long-term goals is going to be fixed here pretty quickly, and that is to have your own food truck, right? That's what we're working on. We are looking at getting our own food truck, our own food cart, if you will, and to get into light sandwiches and paninis mm. and um, have big people be able to enjoy some really creative sandwiches in addition to the wine. They have not um, discouraged, in fact, they've encouraged people to, um, you know, stop at any local restaurant pick up a sandwich, or, or, well, for that matter, you could make it at home and then bring it out there and enjoy the mead. Um, is there any product you sell that isn't a mead? It, it might be called something else or is simply a wine. We actually do honey sodas, non-alcoholic honey sodas. We found in our visiting a lot of wineries that there wasn't any real non-alcoholic options, either for the designated driver for those with families, um, the kids underage. So what we decided to do is we produce honey wine and honey soda. Um, honey soda is just what it says. It's sweetened with honey. We do a lavender lemonade and a mint ginger. Both, as I mentioned, non-alcoholic. We serve it by the growler and by the pint. In this way, there's a choice for everyone, no matter what your um, volition is. Or age, for that matter, right? Exactly. The, the um, younger folks could enjoy that. So, let's see, how long now have you been a meadery? We started off with distribution only, no tasting room in 2016 commercially. Okay. I started making mead in 08 after I started keeping the bees. 
but we went commercial in 2016 and distribution available in local retailers and we decided to open our own tasting room after seeing that this was there's enough demand for it uh, and we went live um, December of 2019 okay. so just slightly over a year now and we mentioned the name Brandon but I want to finish that Brandon Lackey folks who has a a great history already, even as a young person, in this kind of thing. And so it's, I'm glad you have him out there. Now, um, let's see, you know, of course, all businesses have some difficulties. Uh, but uh, less far, would you say this has been a good thing for you and Cynthia? I would say it's a good thing. It definitely is a good thing. The pandemic was a curveball and slowed down some of the plans we had and fortunately we were able so far to make it through and we, we, we do want to thank everyone who stopped in and supported us through this um, it, it's been a rough period it wasn't in the business plan right but it definitely um, um, gave us an outlet and in many in an odd way even during lockdown I was able to go to the winery do what I need to do in solo fashion and take care of everything that needed to be done and gave me an outlet for that energy that I can assure you would have led to friction had the two of us been staring at each other inside a small <laughs> um, house. Now, are the, the rules in terms of uh, uh, legal uh, alcohol products and so on and so forth, are they the same for meat as they are for wines or other products? Basically. Yep, it, well, mead is considered a wine, so okay. we are the same as any other winery regulated by the state and the federal government. If you I wish to sell own. your product um, at local uh, wine shops, um, that's certainly possible, right? And we do. We are at um, Bellavino's, Kroger's, Busy Day. We're at several of the local shops. Um, Jackie O's on Stimson at the Taproom, they have us by the glass. Mm -hmm. So there's several local shops that um, fortunately support us, and that's helped us. Uh, the retail arm has helped us through the uh, pandemic. And Southeast Beverage, who distributes us down here, has definitely helped us through this. That, that's definitely given us the, the bottom line that we needed to help through this um, storm, if you will. Wonderful. Well, um, you know I like you guys, and um, I want you to, Continue to grow and be successful. And um, Scott, have you ever tried a glass of mead? I have not. Okay. Um, I suggest you take some uh, trousseau of yours and go out there. It's a beautiful <laughs> place to be. And, yes, it is beautiful. Uh, I have seen it. And Paul and Cynthia are great hosts. Brandon, too. They'll let you have a sip of this and a sip of that until you find something that just really trips your trigger. And, um, and we're going to be open all winter. We're going to be open Fridays and Saturdays through winter. We have um, social season, season. We actually have hot mold right now, hot spiced wine, sweet hot spiced wine to make it through winter. And I've had so come on out. Now, are we talking about Fridays and Saturdays, like even this week? Um, this week we're going to be shut down for New Year's. Okay. But starting the weekend, weekend after, every Friday and Saturday, January, February, and throughout. Okay. Well, just keep up the great work and um, uh, let us know any way we can help you. 
I, I have a question. appreciate it? Scott's got a question. Yeah, I have a quick question, Paul. This is Scott Daly. I'm uh, here co-hosting with Dave on Party Line each day. Um, you spoke about crystallization of honey. And the question I had, you may have answered this already, but how do you safely decrystallize honey? I know people say, just put it in the microwave, but then if you read a label on something, it says, do not put this in a microwave. And the reason why you don't want to put it in the microwave is less about the honey and more about the container. Um, as yes. The, as the honey warms up and becomes, well, molten, just like molten lava, it could melt a plastic container or crack a glass container. So it has less to do with the honey and more with the container while you don't want to microwave it. You definitely want to put it in just a gentle, warm water bath. Um, as soon as the honey itself reaches 120 degrees, it will decrystallize the way from the outside to the end. You can aid that process by stirring it. But the reason you don't want to put it in the microwave is for your own safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to crack the glass or melt the plastic and then deal with molten honey everywhere. Wouldn't it be um, desirable to make it crystallize in certain recipes? Actually, what they do is they call it cream honey. Cream or creamed honey is controlled crystallization. Okay. Um, and what it actually does is it spreads like butter. It spreads like a rich, deep um, cream cheese, if you will, and is delicious. That right on some of the local, at the farm market, some of the local um, honey vendors sell it. Um, we sell regular honey through the FFA program here. Um, in addition to our own honey, it's, it's, we sell from Fed Hawk's FFA program. But other vendors actually have a crystallization. They actually control the crystallization, so it becomes spreadable, and it's delicious. Well, uh, you know, any flavored butter, I'm a uh, sucker for. Um, So that sounds like fun. Listen, um, how many gallons of honey would you say you produced in the past year? This was was a good year. We, We do about 20 gallons locally here in our facility. Um, given the, the fact that we only have one bee yard and I don't have time to go out and get extra bee yards just yet. We do supplement with other farmers, as I mentioned. We buy honey through the FFA programs. Um, so that actually helps us. It helps the students. So even though every batch has some of our own honey, we do supplement. And this way we also get a variety of flavors and we blend until we get a f- consistent flavor from batch to batch. Okay. And um, you'd like to grow to um, have, be producing instead of 20 gallons, how much a year? Oh, I'd love to be able to go up and, and do about five times that. I'd love to be able to do 100, 120 gallons. Wow. Um, you'd be probably looking at 100, 120 hives at that point or colonies yeah. in order to produce that. Um, but right now, running the winery, the full-time job, and uh, keeping everything going, we're okay with the 10 highs we have. I'm just curious, your home in Columbus is in what part? We actually have a small apartment in southeast Columbus. Okay. Uh, this way we can get to, I can get to my job, and we can get down here fairly quickly. I see. Paul Freeman, thank you for coming or being a part of this. And uh, uh, I learned a few things. Scott didn't. Um <laughs> I was too busy trying to get or- ordained. I'm teasing you. I was trying to get ordained to be a minister oh. here while you were doing Well, that. I can do that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes, thank you, Paul. I love honey, and I try to have some uh, 
frequently. My dad loved honey, uh, you know, right out of the comb. And uh, so it's just a fantastic food item. And thank you for being with us. You bet. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Once again, uh, come on out sometime. And if not us, pick up a bottle at one of the local retail shops. You bet. They can use the business as well during the pandemic. Yes. I am. I think I would have made it this weekend, except you're not going to be open. So uh, next weekend. All right, Paul, thank you. And say hi to Cindy for me. I will do it. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, David. Thank, thank you, Paul. You bet. All right. Well, that's, um, you know, just another unique thing about Ath. A honey of a show, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> How come I didn't think of that? Uh, well, somebody had to, right? It was going to come out cheesy somehow but you know very appropriate well honey is a great cheese food cheese and honey might not be bad Mm -hmm. honey flavored cheese we have about 45 seconds left it's going to be a beautiful day folks um the high today 37 we're showing 30 right now tonight back down to 26 but tomorrow 51 and in fact the next few days after uh, once we get into tomorrow are going to be um, more medium days. Yeah, spring-like temperatures. New Year's Day, 59. Think of that. Yeah. So um, enjoy it while it's here. Yes. Uh, when we have a guest, of course, we can't bring in uh, Art Turf because, well, you know, we'd just be ashamed. But um, we'll, we'll get him tomorrow. <laughs> and by the way, we will not be here Friday for Party Line. That's right. Music special. Yes. Okay. In our 71st year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Vicki Barker in London. One in 1,000 Americans dead from COVID-19. Only 2 million vaccinated so far, not the planned 20 million. If there are ingredient shortages to make the vaccines, then we will invoke the Defense Production Act if necessary to generate the ingredients needed. If this is a problem of distribution, then we're going to need to understand where the bottlenecks are. Biden advisor Dr. Atul Gawande. Here's CBS's Carter Evans. Demand for that vaccine is evident across the country. Hundreds of seniors lined up for hours to get vaccinated at a Florida community center on Monday. And in New York, the owner of a network of urgent care clinics was ordered to return 2,300 doses of the Moderna vaccine after allegations that it fraudulently gave the vaccine to people who weren't supposed to get it. After New York, Texas has America's highest death toll with new cases skyrocketing and hospitals nearing capacity. This Dallas County judge begging fellow Texans. Someone's going to pay a very high price for your decision to party with your friends on New Year's. President Trump's picked up some unlikely allies in the Democratic-controlled House, which has passed his COVID relief check increase. Here's CBS's Paula 